on GDC Podcast episode 18, we have Forrest Swartout Large, executive producer at IO Interactive, working on the Hitman franchise. We talk design philosophies behind the stealthy Hitman series, burnout and work-life balance, and what makes for an effective video game producer. Back in a sec. And we're back. I'm Chris Graft, Editor-in-Chief of Gamasutra, here with... Hi, I'm Alyssa Macklew, News Editor and Associate Publisher of Gamasutra. You know what? We can just get right into... Uh, get, we'll, we'll get some of the morning announcements out of the way, and uh, I want to get to our guest. Uh, yeah, I'm looking forward excited. to this one. For, for mysterious yeah, yeah. reasons for anyone who's familiar with the games that I play. <laughs> so, uh, what, what, what do we got coming up um next week depending on when you're listening to this yeah we have gdc showcase coming up next week for us right now uh march 15th through 19th it is an online event that just kind of gives you a little snapshot of uh the best gdc has to offer um some interactive talks going there some uh greatest hits kind of things and we're doing live podcast episodes all the way through so if you're listening to this in time to sign up completely free you can go to gdconf.com uh register and jump in next week and hear five more podcast episodes from us it's gonna be other content too but that part's gonna be wild yeah it's uh it's free also and if you're listening to this after it happened uh you can still sign up for it and uh, and access uh, the platform uh again free registration uh you won't be able to obviously interact with the people uh, back in time but there's going to be you know, just off off the top of my head, there's going to be David Lightbone, who is uh, uh, the the tech the tech a tech leader guy. Um, sorry, David, I don't remember your job title, but uh, he is going to be walking through the history of game development tools, uh, and he's he's done some writing on that for Gamma Sutra in the past. Uh, so, looking forward to the uh, the concise. Uh, concentrated version of that at GDC Showcase. We're also going to be doing live AMAs on some games you might have heard of. There's uh, like Spider-Man, Miles Morales, Ghost of Tsushima, Demon's Souls remake. We'll also have a couple AMAs from folks that can answer all your questions about narrative design. And we're also going to have somebody there from Yacht Club Games talking about retro-inspired game development and design. Uh, And as Alyssa noted, live podcasts with us. And there's going to be lots of cool people on there from games like Disco Elysium, Spelunky, uh, and other, so I'm looking forward to it. I think it's going to be it's going to be busy. This next like week or time. so of uh, podcast content is kind of like my like top five games of the last couple years list. So I'm like I'm in heaven. This is great. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah. And speaking of your favorite <gasps> games, uh, I want to get on to our next guest. Our next guest is a seasoned producer in the games industry. She has credits on games including Tomb Raider Underworld, Lara Croft and the Guardian of Light, Inside, that Play Dead game, and all three of the new Hitman games. Hitman, Hitman, Hitman. Hitman, Hitman, Hitman. Currently, 
<laughs> Currently, she is executive producer at IO Interactive. Let's welcome Forrest Swartout Large. Hey, Forrest, thanks for joining us today. Hello, so happy to be with you. Yeah, where are you again? You're, you're in Copenhagen? I am. I'm in Copenhagen, Denmark. So we have you on to talk about, you know, uh, you know, all things related Hitman, but also uh, you've been in the industry for like quite a long time before um, IO Interactive. Can you kind of give us a little bit of your background and how you uh, how you got into game development? Absolutely. Um, should we go way back? Is that okay? Should I do like let's, the let's way go back? way back, way <laughs> way back. back? Yeah. Even way if it's before back. game dev, it's, you know, like what what happened? What happened? How are you here? We will. Okay. So I am from the Bay Area. I am a Bay Area girl, um, and I. So I was studying at Berkeley. I was doing film, and I had to take a medical leave, <clears throat> and I needed a job. And I thought, well, if I if I have to work and I can't be in school doing what my my heart and mind want, which is uh, learning film, then maybe I can get a job in film. And I was fortunate enough uh, around this time to find a job ad uh, for a PA, a production assistant at Tippett Studio, um, which is an amazing animation and visual effects house in Berkeley. And I was lucky enough to land that job, and I got started at the age of 19, making coffee and running film back in the day when uh, real film was a thing. <laughs> um, I stocked the fruit basket and ran lunches, and I just really paid attention and asked questions, and uh, everyone who worked there was just generous with their knowledge and uh, their expertise. And I just really felt like everyone took me under their wing and just taught me and, and brought me up. And it's there that I became a producer. And from there, um, I made the jump over to games. Um, in 2007, I uh, started at Crystal Dynamics working on the Tomb Raider franchise. Um, so that was how I got my start in games. Um, I, I started in film originally and then jumped over. Um, I started as a cinematics producer, creative services producer, and then I got more and more on the game side. Hmm. I stayed at Crystal um, for five years working on the Tomb Raider franchise. And I think my, my last project there was um, working on the Tomb Raider reboot to the vertical slice. Um, but before that, my, my sort of big crowning achievement, I would say, um, was producing Lara Croft and the Guardian of Light, which was the first um, yeah. uh, co-op, uh, you know, uh, offering in Tomb Raider um, franchise. It was first digital. It was the first um, studio-led development uh, within uh, Square Enix Group. It was isometric. I mean, it was just, you know, so, so many firsts. Um, and then, yeah, so that, I mean, the question was, how did I get my start? Yeah. So that's, that's roughly how that's, I got my start. Yeah. yeah. So like that, that brings us pretty dynamics, close. Yeah. Tomb Raider. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That, that's super cool. And, and that, that game, I remember that coming out, um, uh, and it, it was a, such an interesting, well-received take on, on the Tomb Raider franchise. This It was an absolute blast. 
it was such a blast. Um, yeah. And I was, I just felt so lucky to, you know, have the opportunity to work with um, so many gifted people. It was, uh, it was really great. It was tough, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a tough project. It was fast. You know, we had to uh, learn <laughs> very quickly. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, I yeah. mean, that's, that's how you learn, right? Is just by like jumping in and trying things that you have uh, never tried before. Um, how, how did, how did your background in film, uh, did, you know, your experience and interest in that, how did it, it influence your path in video games? Well, I think, you know, one of, one of the things that I have brought with me is just a, a real love and passion for the craft of storytelling. Um, so I think, yeah, I, I think I, I bring that. Um, I think there's also, I mean, a, another sort of gift of film is it's, it's an older industry than games, right? There's, there's more, it's just more established. Um, and there mm-hmm. is, um, there's just a, a teamwork. Um, there's a, a sort of a loyalty to the team you know, that you find, uh, on, on film sets and, and on film projects, um, that I've, that I've also brought uh, to games. So, yeah, I think it's just like a, an appreciation for each individual craft, a love for storytelling and, um, just sort of that. I I think there's also, you know, in film there was, or at least a tippet, you know, (laughs) there was this saying, (laughs) you're only as good as your last daily. You know, so like, you know, you can yeah. take that in a cynical way and you can take that in a every, every day, every shot, every map, every mechanic, you know, every game, everything is an opportunity for you to learn and grow, even reinvent yourself. Or, you know, even if you had an epic fail, you know, mm-hmm. you can always just sort of get up and, and try again with a group of fantastic people. So yeah, your your last project was, was great. So maybe end on a high note. No, I'm just. So <laughs> <laughs> way to never I, get anything I do done. Actually, I I will say that it was on Hitman Three towards um, when we were uh, almost content complete, almost almost done with the Berlin map. Mm. It was the first time that I I really had the feeling of completeness completion Mm -hmm. like uh wow (laughs) this is so (laughs) pinnacle this is so Mm -hmm. hitting all of the right notes and exceeding my dreams and our collective dreams like i i really i won't be mad or like i won't be (laughs) upset or i won't be i won't feel regret if i don't ever get to make a great game again or if i don't you know like it just it it was so it was this insane feeling um, so I, I don't plan on retiring. I'm not retiring, but it was just <laughs> so strange to have this long career and, and then this this feeling of like, wow, I'm so satisfied. I'm, I'm so of, proud and so satisfied. That kind of like looking down from the tower at everything you've created moment that you're describing is interesting because with Hitman 3 specifically, a lot of people who never clicked with the series before, that was the moment where everything fell into place. And they're like, oh, no, this is a wonderful game, a wonderful series. <laughs> So that kind of like mirrors the inside and the outside of game development, what's going on, that feeling right there. Yes. I am a big believer when you start a project, you should, and a game, 
you should always start with the question, how do we want the player to feel? What do we want the player to feel? And so you actually start from the inside and then and then build out. Um, and I I feel really proud of Hitman Three because I I, I really feel like uh, the the vision that that was created and and put together like it's it's there and and people are feeling it you know they're they're feeling the the lows and the highs and what was that yeah. question for Hitman Three like what what do I want player the player to feel what was your answer for that when you guys started the project um so what we wanted was an emotional journey. That's what we wanted. Mm-hmm. And we wanted to end on a feeling of hope um, by, by freeing 47. Mm-hmm. And so we really put the player, I think, through you know, just a crazy emotional journey, you know, starting in Dubai, lit- or trying as much as possible to create this feeling of starting on the top of the world, and then going down, 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 and mm-hmm. and loss. And uh, yeah, I, I don't want to get into spoiler territory. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I will say, I will say when I when I when I um, was dressed up like a pizza boy in uh, Berlin, and I kicked that guy in the back, and uh, he fell into that uh, <laughs> that water <laughs> like uh, like part, and then eliminated him. That yeah, for me, that was your emotional journey. <laughs> that was that was like <laughs> that was like the most because like I, I was like I'm one of the people that Alyssa is talking about. Like Hit- Hitman Three was like the one that that got me, and then. Um, that yeah, in, in Berlin where you're just going around and it, it's more of a sandbox situation. And then I was like, I wonder what happens is like you know the eliminate prompt comes up, and then I was like, what's he gonna do here? And it's like I just press it, it's like blurp, it just that like so really cool. really casually kicks the guy in the back, and then he just like <laughs> he just like whistles and goes along his way. It's like oh yeah, that's the stuff right there. <laughs> I mean, I, I really think that, you know, the games are at their best when they love you back, like when they meet mm-hmm. you where you are, right? So you just want to have like a great kill, <laughs> like a, a subtle, like a nice kick in the back and, and, and you got that, you know, and I did. maybe others want to be like a DJ, like a total, you know, DJ power fantasy and you can have that. I did that too. I, I, I did it all. <laughs> or just like blend in and like feel like you're with people again, you know, physically. Mm-hmm. Have, have you played in VR? No, Not I yet. haven't yet. I want to. I need my PS5 VR adapter still. <laughs> I can highly recommend it. So I actually, I want to dig into the VR a little bit because that's like an entirely different game that you guys built out inside Hitman 3 for one specific platform because um, you had to do like new mechanics to accommodate new like movement and all these different things that you're yes. able to do in VR. How, how did that pitch come across? How did someone say, yes, let's pour a bunch of time and money and effort into this? Like, how did you guys get that ball rolling? So <clears throat> here it is all the credit to Cecil and Eskil. Cecil um, is our lead game designer on Hitman 3, and Eskil is a, a senior game designer. And really, 
the it's because of them. It's because they just brought so much passion for VR and they evangelized the crap out of it. And then the next thing you know, like we we started the Hitman 3 project with VR mm. because of their intense lobbying uh, from, you know, Susan, our uh, senior office manager, up to the CEO, to any designer and artist and programmer who would listen. <laughs> <laughs> and they just single-handedly, you know, got the entire studio um, hyped for this. And, and it's daunting, right? I mean, yeah. you, you mentioned it, that it's just, I mean, it was every mechanic, every shader, every every place. I mean, we had to remix the sound. It's just, it's insane the amount of work that it was. But, you know, they just brought pure passion and love. Um, and And we did it, even though it was, you know we didn't really know what we were getting ourselves into. We just, mm-hmm. you know, sort of leapt into it with um, this passion and, and faith. <laughs> it's a good thing it turned out good, though, yeah. 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 You, you, would, you, would hate, you would hate to be the guy advocating for it and it turned out to be uh, not great, but I'm glad that it, uh, it, turned, it was executed so well, it sounds yeah, like. Conceptually, it's yeah. a match made in heaven, like... I'm so glad it exists. I really want to try it. I just need to order that part. Um, I guess going into, since you started Hitman 3 with a VR mode, like, on the to-do list, um, how did that affect going into, like, I guess the design process more? Did that change the way you guys looked at certain levels or certain, like, zones that you created? So VR was, uh, so within the Hitman 3 project, we had several sub-projects. And VR was a sub-project that ran, you know, I would say fairly autonomously. Um, the, the, the mandate of, of the group, the team that was doing VR, was to basically do the world of, like, deliver the entire world of assassination in VR. Mm-hmm. So they really got started with the basics, you know, controls, the basic mechanics, had the scope, like how... How much can we touch? How much do we want to touch? Um, and they really got going with the initial maps. And of course, you know, not of course, but a, a, a not uh, a not secret is that you know each map in in the world of assassination is special. It's it's built specially. We have a few maps that were made modularly, but you know, they're they're sort of their own special snowflakes. So mm-hmm. each map required uh, a whole different uh, treatment and approach, be it when it comes to, you know, shaders or sound treatment or, you know, whatever. So really the VR team, they got started from uh, first with the Hitman 2016 maps and then worked their way. And then those uh, of the team who were uh, entirely focused on Hitman 3 missions and locations, we just tried to, you know, get it done in time <laughs> so, there was a, so that there was enough time for, you know, everyone who is on VR to basically do the, do the VR version of mm-hmm. those maps. Um, yeah, what was the question actually? Um, how knowing you're going in, knowing that you had VR as a to-do item, starting Hitman 3, if that informed your development decisions that you made or your process or design or anything like that, which you kind of answered there, so. 
Yeah, I mean, but like to be really clear about it, because we had never done VR. Um, we actually we were we were lucky enough to know a VR designer up in Sweden who we like reached out to and like asked her, and we had um, you know we had some some people at Sony who were you know generous with uh, with their time and knowledge, but we were really. Um, we knew so little, you know, I think we actually kicked off initially with like a halftime producer, Cecil and Eskil and a programmer um, uh, who we call Clang. And uh, so we, we really started with like three and a half people. <laughs> and then of yes. course it grew, wow. right? Because I mean, we knew that it would need some sound treatment, <laughs> yeah, some tech art and, and whatnot, but we had no idea the scope. So um, you know, we had a fixed budget and a fixed timeline. Um, and so really, it was a, a really intensive, I would say, ongoing exercise of scoping, constantly scoping the entire game, right? Like discovering, oh, my God, we need another game designer. Oh, my God, <laughs> we needed <laughs> two, two more sound designers on VR or, you know, and then it's just this constant... Um, you know, looking at the severities. So like, um, you know, an example, you know, I, I talked about the intimate journey. So we have these sort of big things that we're trying to do, right? VR, the camera item, the dance with Diana, the cold open, uh, 3D cinematics. And we're just, we're, you know, the game director and I are constantly looking at all of these things and prioritizing them and looking at at the scope and the fidelity and um you know i mean at, at times my job was was like the focus police or the like move on police <laughs> Ooh, the, the focus and the move on police. it's an important like role <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it i mean it we the the thing that we needed and uh fortunately you know were able to hold on to was just a belief in each other and like a, a willingness to, um, you know, sort of uh, treat it as a, as a live, you know, like mm-hmm. uh, just constantly adjust like micro adjustments while also trying to give the team some semblance of stability, you know? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, I, it, I mean, honestly, it was like, whew, it was uh you know, game development can be just very chaotic, right? And and sometimes the job is just like creating the conditions where the team can thrive in various levels of chaos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Let, let's get into that uh, yeah. a little bit. Yeah, let, let's. Um, so <laughs> yeah, it's uh, um, so practical like production you know philosophies that you have in, in your mind when you are tackling the big projects that you've had with these large AAA teams um, what makes uh, an effective producer I'm gonna say something that might or might not be surprising and I'm gonna say listening mm-hmm Um, I mean, you also have to be asking the right questions or surrounding yourself with uh, people (laughs) who will prompt Mm -hmm. with the right questions. Um, I mean, I I used to think, 
you know, that, that a good producer was someone who always had the answers, you know, had, could always anticipate the questions, be ready with the answers. And ideally, you know, if, if a pivot needed to happen or a change needed to happen, that change was already in progress. Um, I used to think that, but I, I think it's, it's actually just much more about like paying attention, watching deeply, listening deeply and trust. Right. I mean, I, I'm also, I was also very fortunate to just be surrounded by extremely excellent people, (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. who we could push each other. We could be, um, honest with each other. I mean, Matias, the game director, and I, we were we were just like total partners in in the endeavor. We we talked a lot. We were we challenged each other a lot. We had uh, a lot of tough tough conversations. Um, but I think it's I think <clears throat> the secret is is listening, um, observing, and then of course you know what is observation when. Uh, you're all working from home, <laughs> right? How, how do you uh, how do you observe and how do you? Um, so I just I was pretty annoying on Teams and just like poking people, you know, from big big questions to just like how are you or like I'm seeing this. What do you think or do you see it this way? Um, I think it's you know it's also I bring because I have the the gift and, and the luxury of having shipped a lot of games and having worked with a, li- a lot of different teams, different style teams, different IPs. I have a pretty strong gut feeling based on, yeah, just experience. And and, uh, and I'm also willing to just trust my intuition and say, I don't really know why I think this yet, <laughs> but I mm-hmm. feel this strongly and I'm going to investigate this or I'm going to engage others on this this thing that I have a bad feeling about. Um, but it also means that, you know, sometimes I'm the first one that has a good feeling and the first one for a long time <laughs> or like the only one for a long time, I should say, that has the good feeling. Um, I think it was just it was honestly such a relief when the reviews came in you know first we got um the uh like a mock review we had uh, three journalists do a mock review and it was pretty positive that was a that felt like okay like validation you know like mm-hmm. others are, are seeing what i'm seeing like this is really special this is this is this is this is gonna be something um and then when when the reviews came in it just was such a relief because it was like okay <laughs> yes. yeah Yes, <laughs> um, because uh, you know, I I think the other thing that everyone on the team they're just they're so passionate and the standards are so high, um, and there's uh, you know perfectionism, just just excruciatingly high standards, I would say. Um, yeah. So it's yeah, there was just a lot of like, is it going to be good enough, and you know a lot of those questions that yeah. was really meandery <laughs> no that's the podcast no. that's what we do <laughs> yeah <laughs> meander away this is the uh the the, the the game dev meandering podcast no that, that that was not meandering at all and it actually um what what you're saying um uh, in being an effective producer i think that you know you you were saying you whether or not 
you know, that's obvious or not, you know, is that obvious, like listening and maybe for experienced producers it is. Um, but for, uh, you know, experienced effective producers, it is obvious, but I don't think that they all know that the really good AAA producers that I talk to have said the same thing. Um, and even, even going as far as describing, you know, production as, uh, like a highly empathetic job position, which it sounds like what you're talking about, that intuition, that gut feeling. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. I mean, it is, you know, we, I mentioned the, the chaos. (laughs) I mean, game, game development Mm -hmm. is, it's so challenging, right? We're, we're trying to innovate in a really you know, a fast paced, like constantly changing landscape, especially in AAA, if you're looking at, you know, three, two to seven year development cycles, you know, who knows where the industry is going to be at that point? Mm -hmm. Um, What are, what will people be interested in or attracted to? I mean, there's the the self pressure, there's the collective pressure. Um, And so I, I think, you know, for me, actually, listening is just an important part of relationship building and like, getting to know, you know, your, your people and yourself and uh, having, you know, some tools to navigate all the uncertainty and the, the chaos. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's also like the having, um, you know, uh, relationships with different members of the team where, you know, if, if they know that I respect them deeply and I care about them deeply, it also means that I can engage them on the hard things, that I can approach them with the hard things, be it hard feedback or I don't think this is good enough or just straight up, this is not good enough. <laughs> what are we mm-hmm. gonna do about it? Um, so yeah, it's not, I mean, it's, 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 it's not all softness, but I think that the empathy has to be there because you are uh, working in such a challenging environment. And, you know, it, it does come down to the people at the end of the day, you know, like there would be no Hitman three without this fantastic team. Right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, when you're talking about the team and, and really your, um, you know, yourself, uh, of course, there's a lot of conversation in the, industry about work-life balance are there certain (laughs) steps that like are are you just like constantly you know um you know working all the time and and how do you manage that for your team and yourself um i'm gonna tell you a story all right so listening yeah um so on (laughs) hitman 2 i just totally burned myself out like oh. really, I mean, I, I still showed up to work, you know, <laughs> it wasn't mm-hmm. uh, so bad that I couldn't get out of bed, but just all the classic signs of, of burnout. Yeah. And, um, but I, I knew it, I could feel it. I, I had experienced it before and, um, I did just a lot of soul searching. I read a book called resonant leadership. Um, I really worked on that aspect of myself, just really introspecting, like what, 
what is it about me <laughs> and my work mm -hmm. addictions or my habits that sort of led me to this place of burnout? What can yeah. I do differently? Who do I need around me? You know, what what sort of support system, what sort of daily habits do I need? <clears throat> and so about six months after we shipped Hitman 2 um, and I had been on this like uh, project of fixing myself, you know, so that I could uh, uh, tr try to, to not burn myself out again. And also just to recover, you know, through um, compassion and empathy and just uh, just slowing it down asking mm -hmm. for help, you know, a lot of that stuff. So six months after we shipped Hitman 2, my partner, my my baby daddy, was diagnosed with cancer. <laughs> and I was so grateful for the burnout because it led me to basically just like add in all, and like uh, cultivate and learn all these tools so that I could just like better cope with uh, tough things and, and life and, uh, and also, you know, like asking for help and, and setting boundaries and things like that. And so um, uh, my partner, Brent, he was diagnosed with cancer. It was cancer of the throat. And so he had to undergo two surgeries where he couldn't talk <laughs> for basically mm. four months. And we have two small kids. I was working full time. Um, so I have to answer your question, like I have totally tried burnout, um, at least two times. I'm, I'm actually, yeah. So I was really grateful for, um, the, the burnout from Hitman 2 and all of the, uh, sort of like research and soul searching that I did that made me way better equipped to deal with the the cancer craziness and yeah. he is cancer free by the way so uh Good. that that part yeah. of the story is uh, yeah. is awesome yeah mm -hmm. um and so i but it you know it was one of the things when we kicked off hitman 3 so we actually i i got the ep job i got the promotion in between um my partner's two surgeries um, and I was just, you know, it was so much on my mind and also other, other team members had also um, been experiencing uh, burnout or were recovering from burnout or, you know, close to burnout. And so it was a, a big part of, of my why, uh, for Hitman 3 and my how is, uh, we, we are going to do this respecting work-life balance. Um, but also, you know, giving room for people, you know, some people, they, they want to work the strict, in, in Denmark, it's 37 and a half hour work week. Um, some people like to work a little more, but it was just mm -hmm. something that I had an intense focus on. Um, and I was really protective of, of everyone else and, and just really direct when I saw that people were working too late um, or, you know, working, uh, trying to work on weekends, whatnot. It was always a one-to-one -one conversation. What's going on here? How can we help you? What? Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. I didn't like, and to be honest, like I, I, I really fought other people to not work too much, um, and I, I didn't succeed myself <laughs> to uh, stick to a thirty-seven yeah. and a half hour work week. I mean, I. It's also just like I love. 
I love working so much. I like, it's my jam, you know, like, uh, especially like making a game, you know, like making a game with these amazing people. But it's, but for me, it's really about, you know, people are watching me. So I'm, I'm trying to set a good example. It's also about, you know, sustainability um, and just working in a, in a sustainable way. Right. Like we're, we're in the live phase of Hitman right now. If I'm, yeah. if I had truly burned myself out, it's, I mean, I, I think I've actually, I did a good job with like, uh, I think the team would be fine without me. <laughs> they're, they're amazing. And uh, no, they would, they would stop. make good choices. Um, uh, no, it's true. It's so I'm on vacation right now and they're fine. I'm like, hmm, maybe I can my vacation. <laughs> yeah. The next update's going to be a little late, I guess. Yeah. So, yeah. so I guess the, the short answer to your question is like, I'm working on it. <laughs> I think it's going to be... It's, I think it's going to be a lifelong thing and I'm constantly learning and I'm, you know, fast to call it out in other people, but I'm also happy when people call it out in me like, Hey, just like the awareness <laughs> I'm also is really open important. about that. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Like uh, I, like I tell the producers that I work with and the directors that I work with, like, you know, this is a, this is a thing for me and um, I would really appreciate, you know, like you to just tell me if, <laughs> if you, mm-hmm if you feel uh, or observe that I'm not working in a sustainable yeah. way. And, and of course it's, it's my job, right? It's, it's my job to, uh, to res- respect my boundaries and, and set a good example, but I've been called out a few times and then I'm so grateful for it. Has that like awareness and those kind of like um, standards you were able to learn um, for the burnout process come in more handy, I guess, during the pandemic and like working from home and working remotely, have you had to adapt those or have those have been like a lifesaver when you're not face to face with your team? They have been a total lifesaver. Um, I, I mean, I remember when back in the spring when we were first sent home, um, I was actually ready to go. <laughs> with like, here's some, uh, you know, and I did several talks with the team, like here's some some tips you know, for, for self-care mm-hmm. and, and working from home and, and setting boundaries and whatnot. Um, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm really grateful for it. Um, I think it would have been, it would have been so much harder um, if I hadn't, you know, just really been in the mind of uh, trying to practice gratitude mm-hmm. <laughs> for the, the big mm-hmm. things and the small things and the hard things and the easy things. Um, I mean, I think, yeah, I, it, yeah, Ooh, it was, um, I mean, it was, it was crazy. <laughs> like, I mean, we, like we, I, I seriously had mentally prepared myself because we had dates, right? Like, uh, we had commitments, mm-hmm. like it, it was not, uh, Oh, we're just slipping. We, we had hard and fast commitments. I, had mentally prepared myself and was trying to mentally prepare everyone else for shipping the game with robot voices. Because, yeah, because I mean, just like all the logistics, right? Getting actors in the studio, (laughs) getting voice directors in the studio and the engineers, mocap. I mean, just, yeah. Yes. Yeah. I I still would have played, I still would have played it with robot voices. I mean, (laughs) you get Easter egg. I know. Developer and I was art. like, I was like, guys, Google Translate. 
realization. But I, I, it was a terrible idea, and I was shut down, thankfully. <laughs> that's that's wild that that's like a, an option that that was even kind of on the table at some point. I'm forty-seven. Yeah. Like what? What are you gonna do? Right? Like I mean, we were we were independently producing yeah. mm-hmm. and publishing this, and there was a fixed amount of money. You know, like there was no money tree <laughs> in Denmark. <laughs> so I guess like the, it's a big time for IO as a studio because going right from Hitman into Project 007 and also uh, self-publishing Hitman, like there was just a lot of wheels turning at once, it seems like. Um, can you talk a little bit about the shift to self-publishing a huge project like this? Yes. Um... <laughs> You know, so I I would say, um, so we we separated from Square Enix some years ago. Um, Even before that point, you know, Square, actually it was during when I was at Crystal, I mentioned the first developer-led, you know, sort of initiative. Um, the, The Western Studios under uh, or within Square Enix had been uh, sort of developer-led for some time. Um, So I think, you know, IO had uh, definitely ingested and been developing um, an an operations team for some time. Um, So I think, honestly, the, the publishing side, it wasn't, it wasn't so much, you know, we had been already uh, um, applying for our own rate, age rating certificates, coordinating QA, doing the submissions, the first party submissions ourselves. So there were a lot of aspects of the publishing operations that we had been doing already on the previous Hitman games. Um, there were definitely some, some new things um, and, you know, uh, like manufacturing our own discs uh, for North America, um, yeah, there were there were some aspects um, that were that were new, but I think it wasn't. Yeah, I, I wouldn't say it was uh, such a big shift. Um, the the self publishing and you know IO was founded as an independent studio and it's always had a, a fiercely independent streak. Um, like we we do it our way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that works out. Yeah, um, but of course, you know there have been um, a lot of learnings, and uh, yeah. So <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> um, I think we'll just leave it at that. Okay. Um, so I guess with the next big thing you guys are working on, obviously the mysterious project of Lil Seven, uh, which I'm very looking forward to and, but you're still doing live support for Hitman three. Um, yes. have you guys juggled two games like this before, or is this a new process and how's that going so far? So I, so personally, I'm really fortunate in that every, every other studio I have worked in has been uh, actively multi-project. Um, so I'm, I'm not new to the multi-project thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and IO had previously been, uh, before Hitman 2016, had juggled up to like five or seven projects at a time. So it's definitely in, 
in the DNA of IO to, mm -hmm. to do uh, multiple big projects. Um, but you know, it's, it's been, it's been some years, uh, since we have been multi-project. We've, we've always at least had like, uh, other projects in incubation. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, this is, this is the first time in some years that we've had, uh, projects in, in significant or, or bigger production phases simultaneously. Um, yeah. And I think, you know, again, it just, it goes back to like, having good people and goodwill and trust and a willingness to just, you know, um, try and iterate <laughs> and improve. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're um, kind of getting close to the uh, the time here, uh, but maybe we should go back to, to Hitman 3 real quick. And I'd like to just talk about some of the levels, and I'm sure that Alyssa has some broad uh, design <laughs> questions too about it. Alyssa, like Alyssa loves Hitman; like she's yeah. just been completely. Um, I, I, I told her before before we did this podcast, like this is the moment you've trained for, <laughs> like talking to the executive producer on a, on the Hitman yeah! franchise. They're very yeah. good games. I'm so happy we get to chat like this. <laughs> yeah. Yay! It, like how how do the how do these levels uh, i'm i'm sure that you get these, this question all the time but how do these levels even formulate and how do the assassinations like formulate and happen because it's so that's one thing i didn't um realize because th again three is the first time i've really gotten into is the game is hilarious like um I, I, and i play it like there there is the uh, there's in a good way like the there there is definitely the through line of the 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 narrative of you know who agent 47 is as, as a character but also i can flip somebody into a grape grinder at a winery um mm -hmm. which is uh which is fun too so it, <laughs> anyhow how, how like the the levels and the kills how do those come uh come to fruition with the team i mean it yeah it, it comes from from everyone on the team right like it could be an animator that comes up with it it could be a level designer a game designer um a programmer um, I mean, it's just, yeah, it's, it's like, it's such an amazing game to work on. <laughs> you know? There's just mm -hmm. so many systems that just interplay in, uh, such, you know, uh, brilliant and chaotic and hilarious ways. Um, I think, you know, we, we give ourselves room and permission to discover during the course of development. So it's not like we start out with a checklist and then it's just pure execution. Sure. Like we we definitely and and honestly, we we change stuff way later than any other developer, I think any other team would be comfortable doing. <laughs> um, like what stuff do you mean? Um we didn't I, I actually I, I will say on, on Hitman three, I I was pretty pretty harsh about locking things down uh, not too late mm. um but like you know on hitman 2 we changed the aim logic <laughs> like right before we submitted oh that sounds complicated <laughs> <laughs> which is a total you know act of faith <laughs> mm -hmm. but also we have really excellent designers and programmers 
who know every system inside and out and they know what the limits are, right? And um, so it, it sounds crazy. Um, and it would have sounded crazy to me 10 years ago, just no way. <laughs> but, you know, having having seen the, the sausage made and and um, and knowing just how excellent these people are, I was like, yeah, okay. I, I was like, yeah, maybe I would do it, but <laughs> okay. Let's go for it. Yeah, let's go for it. Um, you know, it's, yeah. I, so, I, I kind of like imagine, I don't know, just like a, in a studio meeting room somewhere, there's just a whiteboard with a bunch of like really suspicious like kill ideas that everybody comes up with and just they go into a yes. big pile. Is that similar at all to the actual process for coming up with some of these weird situations? Definitely. There's there's definitely whiteboards around the studio uh, that is the byproduct of workshops that are like brainstorms for, you know, crazy kills. And the books that you uh, find around the studio. <laughs> Truly bizarre. I feel like I'm on a watch list for Googling like some Hitman like challenges sometimes. So like I can only imagine internally what that looks like. <laughs> but I, I mean, I would just say, you know, we have uh, brilliant writers and designers and, um, you know, any, including, you know, level designers, game designers, sound designers. It's the, the ideas come from everywhere. Um, but I think it's it's also something about the the luxury of working on an established IP, mm-hmm. right? So you 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 have such a strong sense of of the core of what it is, and it just makes it all the the more enjoyable and the the easier just to riff on that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I guess in that sense, uh, particularly the entire like um, World of Assassination trilogy has had this narrative that's kind of been underneath, it feels like, the whole time until Hitman 3 mm-hmm. when it kind of stepped more into the spotlight. Um, and the levels, particularly going through them beat by beat by beat, have a very distinct cadence because of that. Um, yes. I guess, could you kind of talk about the shifting to that like heavier narrative and balancing that with the gameplay that experienced players still want, but making sure that the story gets its time in the spotlight? Yeah. So it was a huge, I was going to say wish, but just a requirement from our game director, Matthias, that we bring the game, the gameplay, and the story together. Mm-hmm. Um, in the In the previous games you know you could really just not care about the story mm-hmm. you could just skip and yeah um and so i think so we we basically tried to compromise <laughs> with hitman 3 where we really force the story in the game mm-hmm. um it's it's not just a you know cutscene that you can can skip or not um, but it's on the first playthrough, so you are you are required to experience important story elements in the game, but yeah, only on the first play. Um, it's not a an exit, a story exit, for example, that you have to repeat endlessly on upon every playthrough. 
It's kind of more linear than a lot of the other two have been in like a way that doesn't feel like a departure though. It's yeah, it's it, it doesn't feel forced. It doesn't feel forced when you're when you're playing it because to for for me to follow the story beats, you know, on that first playthrough, there were different ways of accomplishing, you know, the things the the assassinations that needed to be done to progress. So mm-hmm. and it, that also for people like me who hadn't played a lot of it in the past. Um, it was a good way to show how the mechanics work, like how things work and be surprised. That, oh, I can do that apparently. Uh, so it, I like that approach and, 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 and I can appreciate the, uh, the, the mashing together of those two ideologies. Yeah, we're, we're super pleased um, with how it turned out. It, yeah. I mean, it, it was pretty controversial among the team though. There were okay. some, some team members that were just like, oh my God, <laughs> this is not Hitman. What are we doing? This is wrong. But, uh, you know, sometimes you just have to trust mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. and just, just do what you, what you believe in. Because yeah. something like the like Berlin, which is a really like standout level, both like the first time playing it through and then routing it on your own playthroughs later, it's such a unique level that I don't think, based on what you just said, would have happened uh, had you guys not kind of like stepped out like that. Yeah. I mean, honestly, you know, another another thing that I can offer is, you know, I, I mentioned before our, our limited budget. We did not have an army of gameplay programmers. Um, we started the project actually with one <laughs> programmer. I shut um, up right okay. there. <laughs> like one programmer, literally. And, uh, and he was assigned to VR. Um, that was and- Clang, right? Yeah, Clang. Clang, what's up, Clang? I, 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 I just remembered, like, we just glossed over. There's someone we call Clang. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, he's, yeah, I'm, 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 respecting, I'm kind of respecting his anonymity by calling him Clang. Um, That's fine. But, uh, That's cool. So, so we also were like, okay, we, we know that we will get flack, for sure, for mm-hmm. not having, yeah. you know, a, a big list a big bullet point list of new features and new mechanics and, and whatnot. But it was, but at the same time, it was like, this is freaking Hitman. We have so many systems, <laughs> we have so much <laughs> gameplay and, you know, so much to work with. And so we really embraced the approach of, okay, you know, we, we always try to have each mission and location feel fresh mm-hmm. in terms of a new location or just a new offering. But we really, committed we we really went all in in terms of um twisting you know we called it the gameplay x but really offering a a twist on existing gameplay mechanics you know partly because we we believed in the systems that we had but uh it was also you know out of constraints of not having an army of uh of uh gameplay programmers Mm -hmm. um so many times you'll talk to developers and hear of all these like wonderful standout features or levels that the games become known for and then they're like no it was because we were super like tight on budget or deadline or manpower at that point in time like constraints do wonderful things in game development when managed properly absolutely absolutely i mean yes 
<laughs> Agreed. <laughs> my my one last start. gush. I'm sorry. <laughs> Say it like the moment like going through. I'm going to gush about Berlin and then I'll let the podcast get back on track. Um, like going through and like as someone who tends to play Hitman and have very specific loadouts that I like and very specific things that I want and having like restricted loadouts is always frustrating. Um, but then like starting Berlin and you take down that first agent and they have a single item and you're like, okay, how can I use this in my next kill and next kill and next kill? And it just seems like such a natural kind of evolution of what Hitman has taught you so far, both in Hitman 3 and the past games, that like Mm -hmm. hearing that it was the response of kind of like wanting to innovate with constraints is a little surprising because it just feels so organically placed in the series. I don't have a question there. Um, I just really love that level. (laughs) Oh, I'm so glad. Can you you tell me, just out of curiosity, um, do you have a second favorite level in the whole world of assassination? Uh, oh gosh. Um, Sapienza is really good. It's just like a comfort place to go back to. I know everyone loves Sapienza, but it's one of my favorites and just, it's like the first level where I went through and started to know like where the wrenches are and where like the miscellaneous things, like the poisons are placed and being able to like route it confidently. So it's kind of got that nostalgia factor for me. Sapienza and then like Colorado, uh, I hated it at first and then it grew on me when I kind of be- like got more comfortable with stealth and how Hitman puzzleizes a lot of things. Um, so those are probably my other top ones. I love that. That is so, uh, <laughs> so surprising. I've, I've never heard uh, those, those three uh, as someone's top three. I love it. I love it. Yeah, I know Colorado's divisive, but like I, I don't know, after like um, there was a GDC talk from, oh no, I'm so bad with names, uh, about level design um, a couple years ago in Hitman 2, or yeah, Hitman um, 1, and Colorado was mentioned as like all these different zones and what it tried to do, and that kind of like clicked something with me too, is just hearing like how it works behind the scenes, I'm like, I get get what you were going for now. Yeah. I am so out of, I'm I'm so out of my depth here. (laughs) I'm just kind of hanging out, letting a... (laughs) Do you have a favorite? Um, Mission or kill or... With like, um, I mean, Hitman Three um, is is like mostly my experience. I like like aside from Berlin, which I thought was great. I mean, uh, Dartmoor, right? The the mansion. Um, did I get the the name of that right? Right. Yeah. 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 Um, just everything everything about that is good and i play like a newbie so i i take like force i i read your q a with us a little while back about i think you called it the golden path so a lot of my uh play is along that but you know sometimes i'll turn hitman 3 on just to flip people over a balcony or something like that <laughs> yeah it's like so i I'm, I'm new it's it's fresh to me that kind of thing it's like whoa wait so like at, at the end uh, and when you're finishing off uh the matriarch of that of that family and then you get the documents and stuff and then she just kind of goes to the balcony it's like can I just do this? And then it's like, oh yeah, it's like that felt a little bit mean. And, and like, I, I haven't, I haven't, um, yeah, I know that there's got to be a way to electrocute the whole family in the in a photo, but I, I haven't got around to it yet. Um, Let me know if you need help. <laughs> I got the hookup. It's me. I will. Yeah. And I will. it is hilarious. Oh my God. <laughs> The snapshot at the moment for doing that one opportunity is just Hitman's like mix of humor. Helps. It's such a dark subject to like go around. You're this man whose his job is to kill people, and then this, there's this perfect balance of like levity in there. That I don't know if it bring the same without. It's just it's I don't know. It's very good. Thank you for making it and working on it. 
yeah. thank you. Yeah. So we're, 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 we're beyond, like, we usually talk to people in around 40 minutes. We're like 15 minutes through, <laughs> like past that. We could keep on going for another hour. At least I could and, and listening to Forrest and what you have to, what you have to say about it. But I think that this, that this episode had everything just like Hitman. It had, you know, we got real, we, we got some practical tips there. We got some making of the series. Improvised along the way. Yeah. We're, yeah. we're missing a snipe point. Oh, true. I've always been bad at those, so that I'll take all the blame for that one. <laughs> I'm I'm just gonna I'm just gonna let, why don't you two start a podcast um, <laughs> <laughs> released weekly and it's it's all all hitman oh, all the time. Yeah. yeah. Well, but thank you, you can, so much for yeah. joining us on this one. I yeah, really appreciate thank you, chat. Forrest. Really appreciate it. Like you're an incredible guest. No, thank you so much. It was a a pleasure and i i hope um you know we can start traveling again and yes. i would love to meet you guys in person we can do like a podcast follow-up or if you if you are serious about the weekly let me know <laughs> oh there I'm it is Eliza. oh no i would, I would absolutely <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much We are back. Uh, Alyssa, you seem to like Hitman. Maybe. Like, I don't know, this is lucky. Everyone's lucky this isn't like a three-hour podcast episode, because I could, <laughs> me and her could just talk forever. I got that feeling very easily. Well, you and Forrest are supposed to be starting a separate podcast. <laughs> I don't have the time management skills for any other podcast in my life. Exclusive, exclusively. Yeah, just you two riffing on hitman she sounded like she was into it she said the ball is in your court uh, so gonna have to get that contact info um <laughs> and and get that going why do you like hitman so much uh hitman's great um i don't know if anyone's ever heard me talk about hitman on the gdc podcast before but <laughs> <laughs> i i don't i don't know i never figured out quite exactly what the like it factor for it was the hit hit fact no that's a written pun not a verbal pun um <laughs> But it, I just, I tried playing Blood Money when I was younger. It didn't click, probably because I was a child, and that's a very violent game that I should not have been playing. Um, and just, I gave 2016 a go a couple years ago, and just, like, after being prolifically bad at stealth games to the point where, like, palm sweating can't sneak past a single guard in, like, the Wind Waker intro dungeon to, like, being able to do all this, like, complicated, very quick sneaking in Hitman games now, it's just, like, the design of it just... Yeah, something clicked. It's uh, stealth is just a bunch of puzzles, and it's not stressful when you think about it. Like it's just a big jigsaw puzzle. See, I like hearing somebody who has played a video game or a video game franchise like extensively, who is really good at it, and then I like to hear the thoughts about it because when you're talking about um, Hitman, like the new ones feel like a different kind of stealth game versus like Metal Gear Solid. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I remember, I guess that Hitman's a little bit like this too, but, um, with Metal Gear Solid, it feels like this very strategic, like chess game that you are, you're, you're playing and then, um, somebody sees you and then you just 
flip the entire chessboard and then just <laughs> run, run out of run out of the room or something like that. And that's kind of what it feels like with, with Hitman. It feels like you can still there are there are a lot of opportunities. Like if you if you blow your cover somehow, there's other opportunities to recover. And a lot of times those those recoveries um, they definitely add to the overall experience. Mm-hmm. But you still can flip the chessboard over. Like you have that option. You don't get like a fail I, state I if you it. get spotted. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, fun I- exactly. Going through like the leaderboards now that I've been playing Hitman Three for like um, just the levels in general, and then some of like the specialized like escalation challenges that are very cool. Um, and seeing just like I can tell the moment I'm like okay, the, on the first level it's escalation. They got a five star silent assassin. They took their time. They planned it out. And then like the third level, it's like two stars killed six people. All these things, and you can just see the point where they're just like, nope, nope, just run and gun. I'm just getting this done. Yeah, run and gun, just getting this done. <laughs> so, uh, and speaking of done, I think that we're done here. We're, do- we're done here. This is it. I think this is. I think oh, we this did is it. it. <laughs> okay, I won't argue. Cool. All right. Well, thanks a lot, everybody, for listening. You can catch us on Apple Podcasts, um, Spotify. And this will eventually get up, uploaded to YouTube. We've got a bunch of exciting content in the pipeline. It's the best phrase to say, uh, including all of those um, GDC showcase podcasts. If you can't make the live show, we'll eventually end up in this feed. But who knows when that'll yeah. happen. So you should just come to the live event next week. I agree with that. So give us a great rating uh, if you enjoy what you heard. And for now, uh, we're going to go. I'm Chris Graft. I'm Alyssa McAloon. And we'll see you later. Farewell. Fare thee well. (laughs) 